0: This is a podcast from Minute Media.
1: Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show, an NFL trade deadline edition of the podcast right here inside Fansided Stack in the Box podcast feed. Of course, I'm Fansided National NFL Insider Matt Lombardo. Great to have you here. Big show ahead. We'll be joined by former Green Bay Packers president Andrew Brandt. Get his thoughts on a really exciting, really thrilling Thursday night game between the Cardinals and the Packers. Of course, the last minute heroics by former Eagles defensive back Rasul Douglas pulling down an interception that sealed a win for the Green Bay Packers that might vault the pack to the top of the NFC's Super Bowl pecking order. So we'll talk to Andrew Brandt about that game, about everything surrounding Aaron Rodgers from this offseason through the first eight weeks of the regular season and what might be looming for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers this offseason. But the biggest story of the week, of course, is the NFL trade deadline. Already a couple of moves that have made, and certainly the NFL trade deadline every year seems to lack some of the sizzle and some of the blockbuster trades that you seem to see in Major League Baseball, for example, or the NBA or even the NHL. There are a lot of reasons for that, and I think you're starting to see that in the NFL and see why when you look at these contending teams that only have so many needs, only have so much cap space, and really need to weigh whether to trade an asset like a draft pick for a player that might be able to put you over the top now, But kind of hamper your ability to keep building. So we're going to get into all of it. Some of the players that might be dealt between now on Friday afternoon, we're recording this, and the NFL trade deadline on Tuesday at 4 p.m. we will get into what seems to be and has the chance to be a really exciting weekend in the NFL. But before we get into all of that, as always, a little bit of housekeeping for you. If you enjoy the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you went into the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, all of your favorite favorite podcast platforms, and subscribe to the Stacking the Box NFL podcast. It's fan-sided it's NFL podcast feed. You get two really great NFL podcasts for the price of none. I know I say it every week, but Stacking the Box this week was just a, a home run of an episode with Matt Verterim and Mark Carmen. They have Ed Reed and they had Derek Henry on. You don't want to miss that. You get Stacked in the Box with those two every Tuesday afternoon. You get the Mount Lombardo show, of course, every Friday. So go ahead and subscribe in the Apple podcast store, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker to Stack in the Box. And please leave those five star reviews. If you enjoy the podcast, if you appreciate my work, please go ahead and leave a five star review for Stacked in the Box and mention the Mount Lombardo show. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, maybe a guest or two that you're interested in hearing from. And I'll go and try to get them on. But I want to dive right into all of the speculation and all of the rumors ahead of the NFL trade deadline. We already saw one marquee move with the Philadelphia Eagles trading Zach Ertz to the Arizona Cardinals last week. You saw Mark Ingram get dealt back. To the New Orleans Saints reuniting him with Alvin Kamara. I don't think that there are going to be a flurry of moves between now and the deadline. Because again, there are only so many teams that are in a position to legitimately compete for a Super Bowl who have the cap space to absorb a contract and the aggressiveness to give up a draft pick to try to win and go all in right now this year. But I think one name who, when I spoke to sources late last week, early this week, the interest around the league was really tepid, and that's Giants tight end Evan Ingram. And I know a lot of Giants fans listen to this podcast because of the work that I do at G-Men HQ covering the Giants. But it sounds like from reporting from ESPN's Jeremy Fowler and a couple of conversations that I've had over the last 24 hours that Evan Ingram's name is starting to pick up steam a little bit. The the market is still relatively limited because there are only so many teams that need a tight end. But whether you talk to scouts, whether you talk to executives, whether you talk to offensive coordinators around the league, I think people inside the league are a little bit more enamored by Evan Ingram's athleticism, by his skill set, what he brings as a pass catcher to the tight end position. And I think the rest of the NFL understands that both he and the Giants could really benefit from a change of scenery. And I think that he's valued much higher inside the league than by fans and reporters and analysts. But The market for Evan Ingram got a lot stronger because of some of the injuries that have taken place around the NFL over the last two or three weeks or so. Just look at Thursday night. You have Robert Tanyan go down and really disappointing and disheartening and scary fashion. He makes a catch deep downfield. And just before contact, you saw his knee buckle on the grass field. And you looked right then and there that he'd be done for the night, but instead he comes back and he comes back and finishes the game. Turns out, according to his agent, Robert Tanyan tore his ACL he's done for the year. So the Green Bay Packers, in my opinion, they might be the team to beat, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the NFC, but you look at the injuries and the COVID issues and everything that they're having at wide receiver, they need weapons. They need somebody who can step up and be a reliable pass catcher for Aaron Rodgers, who can be a playmaker, especially in the red zone, where the Giants haven't really, over the last two and a half years, figured out how to utilize Evan Ingram and get him involved inside the 20-yard line. But Ingram can be a weapon. And you got to believe that the Packers and the Buffalo Bills make maybe the most sense of any two teams in the league to make a trade for Evan Ingram. And after Jabril Peppers got hurt last week and tore his ACL, he might be the only piece on the Giants roster that has any trade value whatsoever. So you look at the Packers with Tanya now. You look at Dawson Knox, who broke his hand a couple of weeks ago against the Tennessee Titans. Knox and Ingram have a connection together from their time at Ole Miss. There's a relationship there. Knox looks up to Ingram in a lot of ways. They would make a lot of sense in a, for a lot of the same reasons the Buffalo Bills do. Just two weeks ago, the Bills looked like they were destined For L.A. and the Super Bowl, they've kind of fallen off a little bit. They've struggled the last couple of weeks, but they need to continue to surround Josh Allen with weapons. Evan Ingram would make a lot of sense there. And Both of these teams, the Packers and the Bills, have the cap space to get a deal done. Ingram, of course, is in the final year of his rookie contract. There's no long-term security beyond that, so you can't manipulate the money. You can't move signing bonus money and spread the money out over future caps. But the Packers have $5.2 million in cap space. The Bills have $4.3 million. And tight end might be the biggest need for both of these teams going into the stretch run for a couple of franchises that have legitimate Super Bowl aspirations. And I'd also throw Brandon Cooks into that trade rumor mill as well. There's been a lot of reporting, especially after Mark Ingram got traded. You saw Cooks go on Twitter and basically flat out say, quote, this is bullshit that they traded Ingram away. They took away a weapon. But according to a couple of different reports, the Texans have no interest in trading Brandon Cooks into the AFC. And if that's the case, there has to be 8, 10, 12 teams in the NFC that could really use Brandon Cooks, especially this year. My thought here is you have a guy with game-altering speed. He's someone who you know what you're getting in terms of a big play threat who can jumpstart an offense, spark you with one play in the middle of a game, and he has Super Bowl experience both with the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams. Why wouldn't the Packers be in the mix there as well, especially with Devontae Adams and the uncertainty there with everything he's going on with COVID and just continuing to surround Aaron Rodgers to make as strong a push for the Super Bowl as you can. Dallas is a team that I think you would have to watch in terms of Brandon Cooks as well, especially with Michael Gallup out. The Cowboys are running laps around the rest of the NFC East, right? We talked about it last week. I wrote about it in my column this week. Go to fansided.com and check it out. But the Cowboys have a point differential of plus 9.8, almost 10 more points per game than their defense is allowing. Their defense is stepping up, but they still need to continue to build around Dak Prescott, especially with Michael Gallup being injured. If you drop Brandon Cooks into an offense with Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, I don't know how many secondaries in the NFC and maybe not in the NFL, they can kind of keep up with that. So I'd have to believe the Cowboys will be in the mix there. Maybe the Saints. If the Saints are buyers at the trade deadline, and it certainly appears that they are, obviously Cooks has a relationship with Melvin Ingram for him to, Mark Ingram rather, to make those sort of comments After that trade, why wouldn't the Saints try to bring Brandon Cooks back as well, drop him into an offense with Jameis Winston, especially as they continue to wait for Michael Thomas to get healthy? So those are the teams that I think make a lot of sense, too. And if you want to look at the defensive side of the ball, I got to believe Melvin Ingram wants out from Pittsburgh. He's basically come out and said as much over the last couple of days. There are 30 teams that could use a pass rush. It's the second most valuable position in the NFL behind quarterback. And at the top of the list, look at the Kansas City Chiefs. They can't stop anybody. They can't get off the field. Frank Clark has been a massive, massive disappointment for the contract and then moving him to the outside this year. If you drop Melvin Ingram into that defense, a defense that Brett Veach, the Chiefs general manager, showed interest in Melvin Ingram during the offseason via free agency, you drop him into that defense now, maybe it makes a little bit of a difference. And, you know, if you want to talk about the trade deadline, quarterbacks drive the narrative, they drive the conversation, and we could talk ad nauseum about the situation surrounding Deshaun Watson. Watson, and in, in you look at what's happening over the last couple of weeks, it really is starting to seem... Like, there isn't going to be a Deshaun Watson trade that goes down until this offseason. You had the reporting this week from the Houston Chronicle that compensation had been agreed upon, that a deal was essentially in place, but the Dolphins wanted to get some sort of resolution to everything going off the field with Deshaun Watson, both from a legal standpoint, with his 22 sexual misconduct allegations that are out there from the league office as well. And, you know, speaking to my sources around the league— There was never a deal that was all that close leading into this week that Houston was trying to drum up a bidding war between the Dolphins, the Carolina Panthers, and the Philadelphia Eagles. That's what sparked all of this conversation over the last week or so. And it always seemed as though the offseason was one a trade would go down. Because if you're a team, how are you going to give up three first-round picks plus a player and maybe a second-round pick, which was the asking price, by the way? How are you going to pay that? Not knowing if he's going to be available, not knowing if he's going to be in prison, not knowing if the NFL is going to suspend him for the rest of the season by putting him on the commissioner's exempt list or suspending him for the first four, six, or eight games next year. This needed to resolve itself, and that's where, look, a trade could go down by the time we finish this podcast, but my reading of the tea leaves has been that the off season is when this move would happen. But if you're a quarterback-needy team— If you're the Miami Dolphins and you're going to say, Brian Flores is going to come out and say that Tua, barring any sort of injury, is the Dolphins quarterback for the rest of the season, do you really believe it? If you're the Carolina Panthers and you just benched Sam Darnold in the fourth quarter against the Giants last week, are you committed to Sam Darnold? In my opinion, there's only one real quarterback out there. It's Nick Foles. He's a guy that you could trade for. He's a guy that you look at the Bears situation. They're all in on playing Justin Fields the rest of the way. And if something happens, they have Andy Dalton waiting in the wings. But if you're the Panthers, would you flip a fifth-round pick for Nick Foles if you don't think that Sam Darnold is your answer this year or long term? Who knows? But I would think that Foles would be a player to watch if there's a quarterback injury this weekend or if there's a team that feels like they're on the cusp of starting to make a run but they're a quarterback away this year. I wouldn't be shocked if Foles winds up getting moved. And while the NFL trade deadline might be the biggest story this week, it's not the only developing story in the NFL to keep an eye on because you look around the NFL and there, there's a chance that there are going to be several general manager openings. Dave Gettleman in New York certainly very much on the hot seat with the Giants at two and five and really staring down the barrel at their fifth straight losing season. You look at what's happening in Miami with Chris Greer. I don't know that they would fire him after taking of Iloa over Justin Herbert a year ago and how that has worked out, but very much so in Chicago. Ryan Pace's seat is getting mighty warm, but the reason I bring this up is, you know, I was talking to a couple executives this week about potential replacements for Dave Gettleman as the Giants general manager, and the name that kept coming up, and in my conversations with multiple people close to John Dorsey, John Dorsey is intent on becoming a general manager again this offseason. He plans to throw his hat in the ring and try to land one of these jobs two years removed from being fired as the Browns general manager, and my sources tell me According to people close to John Dorsey, he's ready to become a general manager again. He plans to try and get multiple interviews if possible, that Dorsey wants to be back in the big chair. And if John Dorsey's available and my sources tell me that he is and intends on making that leap back into a general manager job, Just look at the resume. John Dorsey is an elite talent evaluator. He, of course, drafted Patrick Mahomes back in 2017. He wound up taking Baker Mayfield for the Cleveland Browns in 2018 with the number one overall pick when everybody, every analyst, every armchair scout, every pundit, every reporter was screaming to take Sam Darnold. I think it worked out for the Browns that they took Baker Mayfield in that spot. But you look at the resume, you look at the talent that John Dorsey has drafted over the years, the names roll right off the tongue. Kareem Hunt, Marcus Peters, Tyreek Hill, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett. Dorsey's drafted 14 Pro Bowl players. Over his time as the general manager, just of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cleveland Browns. If you're a team that's looking for a general manager this offseason, if you're looking to move on from your current GM and you're trying to make that leap from being a middling roster to one that can compete for a playoff spot or more than that, I'm looking at you the New York Giants. I'm looking at you, the Chicago Bears. What about you, Las Vegas? I think that when you look at John Dorsey, he has that Raider persona. He has that mentality and that personality who can be the face of a franchise in Las Vegas. If they move on from Mike Mayock, I'd fully expect Dorsey to get an interview there. Whether he winds up getting a job or not, that remains to be seen. But my understanding is that John Dorsey is intent on trying to land the general manager's job this offseason. A lot more ahead on the program. Andrew Brandt joins me next right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside sided Stack in the Box podcast feed.
0: Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High sports bra.
1: Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo show. And this is going to be a real treat, a lot to get into in terms of the NFL trade deadline, some of the biggest storylines for the first half of the NFL season and a conversation I've really been looking forward to. You know him as the former vice president of the Green Bay Packers, one of the brightest minds out there when it comes to the business of football. He's the host of the Business of, F- of Football podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Andrew Brandt joins us. Andrew, how are you doing, my man? Thanks for being I'm here.
0: well, Matt. Always good to be with you. Nice to Nice to be here.
1: Of course, and great to have you. You know, you're as informed and plugged in as anybody out there when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, the Packers, everything that's going on over the course of this offseason and through the first seven or eight weeks of this season. How do you see this playing out? Because it seems like both him and the Packers are on a mission. If they win it all this year, is he back in Green Bay, or is this always the end of the road for him?
0: Mm -hmm. It's a great question. It's one I'm getting a lot. Let's unpack it first. All offseason, the biggest story from a lot of media was Aaron Rodgers unhappy and Rodgers don't want to be there and Rodgers wants out of Green Bay and me, I really didn't talk to Aaron or I didn't talk to the Packers, but I just said, as I was very vocal throughout the offseason, no way, you know, he'll be there. He's not going to retire. The Packers aren't going to trade him. Uh, And I said the Packers are going to trade him in 2022. That's been my feeling all along for two reasons. Number one, the Packers, as everyone knows, drafted Jordan Love, as we did 15 years ago, drafted a first-round quarterback when we had a Hall of Fame quarterback. We waited three years for Aaron. I just got the feeling two years is the time frame for Jordan Love. It always seems to me it's been that way. And I think a source of Aaron's frustration in the offseason was he knew that, and he's like, why don't we just do it now? You know, what are we waiting for? I don't want to be a placeholder for this kid. Nothing against him.
1: He said but, as much with Aaron Andrews before we won. Yeah,
0: he did. And here's the thing that it's working out great. You know, he Aaron's a pro. He's not going to hold any grudges. He gave this opening press conference, but he's fine. He's a pro, and they're they're coexisting. And of course, that scintillating win last night, they're right in it with every other team at the top. So as you talk about what's going to happen, it just seems like they're they're copacetic now. You know, Matt, my heart says, I agree with you. My head says, I still think it's going to be the business decision. The business decision from the Packer side to move to love after two years was their plan. I still think it's their plan. But more importantly, maybe the business side from Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he's feeling like all that my problems with this front office, the, the same people are there, the lack of warmth. Maybe they've listened to him on, er- on Randall Cobb and a couple other people, but I just have always had this feeling like this is the last dance and Devontae's a free agent. It just has seemed that way here. And I guess, gun to my head, I'm going to say it still is. My head says separation, even though my heart would like to continue.
1: I tend to agree. And you alluded to Devontae Adams and this being you know, his final year of his contract. And there's a lot of uncertainty there. I'm curious your thoughts on how his situation might play a role in Aaron Rodgers' future. If he's back in Green Bay next year, does Aaron Rodgers then become more open to the idea of returning to Lambeau and to the Packers? Or do you think that the expiration date has always been 2022?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that can make a difference. I just don't know if they've had serious negotiations since Devontae cut him off. Right. And again, speaking of Devontae cutting him off, that tells me, he wants to be free. And now, again, it's all related. If Aaron says, hey, I'm back, I'm sure he'll certainly put Packers at the top of his free agent list. But if Aaron's up in the air, Devontae's certainly going to look around, and he should. I mean, he's, I think, the best receiver in the league.
1: No doubt about it. And we go from talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time to one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. A guy that I'm really excited about is Joe Burrow and what they're doing in Cincinnati right now. And it just seems like even with their offensive line being really inconsistent, he's still averaging like 300, 320 yards. He's thrown eight touchdowns. What are the traits that make him so special? Because in year two, he looks ready to take the Bengals to some special heights here.
0: Yeah, that was kind of an under-the-radar game. With uh, Speaking of Aaron and Joe Burrow, I thought that was a great game. Obviously, it came down to all the kickers, and that was all the news about it. But Both played well, and they're going toe to toe. So think about Joe Burrow going toe to toe with Aaron Rodgers. I'm with you. I'm very impressed. Uh, I talked to people at Ohio State that were very blunt about it. He could not beat out Dwayne Haskins. Simple as that. Uh, That wasn't going to happen, so he transferred. And everyone knows what happened at LSU. But sometimes it does take change of scenery, different uh, late blooming for certain players. situation yeah. plays
1: such a role in all of yeah, these things especially totally. with
0: quarterbacks with first round quarterbacks so much and uh but there's a there's a calm and a swagger to burrow that of course you love it's just doesn't get too or too low but he's got that confidence and it, again we keep bringing the guy up he reminds me of Aaron he does remind me of Aaron with that attitude
1: And he has a great supporting cast with Jamar Chase, who looks already like an elite wide receiver, top five in the league so far. You know, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, great talent around him. But when you watch him, what are his best intangibles from a skill set standpoint that really jumps off the page for you, for Joe Burrow?
0: I think like I talked about, an ability to sort of have the same game face when things are going bad as things are going well. Um, He doesn't get caught up in a lot of the noise. And... You know, they're a team that was not projected to do well coming into this year. He just sort of grinned and bare it. He's gone through some injuries, some serious injuries, and he fights back. I just think as a quarterback, you've really got to have a steady temperament. And you've really got to be someone that leader where players look to you. And if you're sagging, you know, they're going to sag. And if you get too high or too low, they're going to get too high or too low. So I really like that about him. When we saw Aaron... When we drafted Aaron, it was just having it right away. There was this kind of California cool, which you see today that was there from the beginning. Just this kind of ability to not take things too seriously, turn out the noise, have a wry sense of humor. It was It's always there.
1: For sure. And you know, you've been in the room where it happens when it comes to the trade deadline, all the big moves that happen this time of year. Who are the contenders that you think make a big splash at the trade deadline? You don't see it that often in the NFL, but we've already seen a couple of moves with Zach Ertz going to Arizona. You know, you look at the bills being banged up. Tampa Bay might need some insurance at tight end with Rob Gronkowski's injuries. Who do you think winds up making a move, a big move on Tuesday, if anybody does?
0: I don't know if anybody does. I mean, we're hearing some names out there and you know just before we came on i look at uh deshaun jackson's name being out there who's bounced around after philly to washington to uh la la but even there was somewhere else tampa so uh you know those are usual suspects i have been on record i don't think deshaun watson will be traded until february at the earliest i just think you know there's no owner that is going to take that on despite the rumors especially for a high price, um, looking at your fan base and bringing in someone with 32 complaints against them, 22 civil, 10 criminal, that's a problem. What we have in the NFL, Matt, compared to NBA and Major League Baseball is a lot of smoke and very little fire with the trade deadline. Right. Not sure exactly why. I mean, you can use the excuse of cap and I don't think that's the reason. I think it's more systematic um you can bring a point guard in or a starting pitcher in and they can be seamless you can't bring a corner in who hasn't played this exact defense and expect him to walk right in. So I think that's a big reason why.
1: And you brought up Deshaun Watson and the people I talked to inside the league kind of echo your sentiments that nobody's going to give up the three first round picks plus a player that Houston's been asking for. Everything that's looming with him in the legal system, through the league office, it just feels like this is earmarked for the off season, as you said. But what's the what's the reasonable asking price there? Because it doesn't sound like Nick is backing down but I don't know even until February that anybody's going to part with more than one or two first round picks. Well, if you are in that mood, in that position, what's the price for Deshaun that you think that you could get away with? And what would you accept?
0: Well, it depends always on bidding. If there's more than one team, then the price goes up for sure. More than two teams, the price goes up, but I just don't see it uh, in his current situation. Now, again, you ask me about Deshaun Watson's, Watson's price when it's clean, when there are no lawsuits, and it's hard to envision that right now. But when there are no lawsuits, yeah, then I think you can ask for two ones, you know, and a couple twos, kind of the Carson Wentz, Jared Goff packages back in the day, uh, because teams, as silly as it sounds, they spend more on draft pick uh, trades that for for number one and number picks coming in. Than they do for established players, that's the analytics. So I think it'd be in that range if he was a
1: clean player. And it seems like the Miami Dolphins of the franchise you keep hearing about in these conversations, how much do you think the success right away from Justin Herbert combined with Watson being available has kind of clouded or shaped how they view Tua? Because you talk to some people who think that Tua still has upside. Some people say he's nothing more than a high-end backup. Yep. How do you view Tua Tagovailoa and that situation in Miami right now?
0: You know, I'm not a scout, but I just think from a business point of view, you can't give up. I don't know. What is it? Year two? Year three? Yeah. Year I mean, two.
1: Yeah.
0: You can't give up on a high first round pick year, year two. And they, because of their cachet of where they're picked, they get that. Now, if he was a fourth round pick, he doesn't get that. They can move on immediately. But you take a fifth pick in the whole draft. Yeah, two years minimum to see if they can play so I don't see them (coughs) excuse me bless you I don't see them giving up on Tua I don't I really don't
1: yeah and that's kind of where I was going too. that if, if this move doesn't happen till February if they pull a Deshaun Watson trade off what kind of an impact does he have as a player on a roster that's one in six and still trying to figure its way with a young quarterback does Deshaun Watson take them from a middling AFC East team to a contender
0: I don't know. I don't think the Houston Texans did very good with Deshaun last year, right? So, uh, yeah, it's not Aaron Rodgers, right? It's not uh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. It's it's a different level. But, you know, the the advantage of Watson is youth. And despite injury, he's got great youth and great mobility uh, and a big arm. So, yeah, everybody's looking for those players.
1: You look at the upcoming carousel when it comes to general managers, and you can think about what might happen with Ryan Pace in Chicago, maybe even Chris Greer in Miami, depending on how their situation unfolds. And Dave Gettleman in New York seems very much on the hot seat with them struggling out of the chute. Who are some of the up and coming executives that could be in line to be that next general manager for a team looking for someone that might not have had that GM experience before, but is kind of rising up through the ranks in your opinion.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not too tuned into that. Um, You know, that's more the agent world deals with some of the lower level executives and the scouts when they're selling their players. Uh, I just know there's always, you know, people beating the bushes on the college scouting. I think, Without giving names, I think the general, what's what seems to be happening around the league is, like Nick Casario, college scouting directors are the ones getting these jobs. So we've had eras where it's been more the negotiator type, like myself, like a Howie Roseman, a Mike Tannenbaum, a Mickey Loomis. We've had eras where it's been more pro personnel types being GMs. We seem to be in an age of sort of college scouting directors becoming GMs and like a Chris Ballard or Nick Casario or John Schneider or a lot of these guys and now Howie Roseman's all out on the college trail. So uh, these are the molds you're looking for and it sort of goes in waves.
1: You know, I appreciate that nugget because I think that that's where a lot of fans are wondering who's going to be rising up through the ranks. And it's a helpful tip to look at the up and coming college scouting directors. Um, Last one here before I kind of want to get into what you're doing today and what you have going on. You look around the coaches that might be on the hot seat. Is there anybody that you think is the quote unquote odds on favorite to uh, be out of a job before the season ends? The first coach fired, so to speak.
0: Uh, you know, there seems to be talk about Matt Nagy. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I just that doesn't seem like a franchise that pulls the plug before the end of the season,
1: especially with a young quarterback.
0: Yeah, with a young quarterback, gives people time. So when you have a young quarterback, and there are five of them right now, uh, about to start or starting, that gives them time. That gives them rope. That gives them a honeymoon period. I can't really come up with a name. No one expected John Gruden to be the first coach fired, of course, but that happened. Um, yeah, let's just see how it plays out. Uh, I don't, I guess if I had to say no one before yeah. the end of the year. Yeah,
1: for sure. And Andrew, this has been really insightful. And I've always enjoyed your work from your time yeah. at MMQB, ESPN. I think we've had a couple conversations when I was on talk radio in Philadelphia back in the day, yeah. in the day. Curious. What do you have going on with the business of sports podcasts and all of your other ventures at this point? Yeah, I've a lot of ventures, <laughs>
0: um, the, the podcast you just mentioned is something I enjoy and trying to be the, you know, kind of the only one out there that really deals with what goes on behind the game inner workings of what's going on. Uh, this week, I had the lawyer representing women primarily affected by working at the Washington football club for all those years. There's investigation, it got put in a drawer, it was an oral report to Roger Goodell. So i had the laura on talking about it and then a couple of the women affected who worked there uh, reached out to me so i had them on as well so business and sports really takes you places where hopefully other podcasts don't go you mentioned my column at sports illustrated about that washington football investigation this week at si.com mmqb.com i also host uh, a newsletter that comes out once a week that's going really well and Happy to say, Matt, I've got on my subscriber list people from all four major sports leagues, from a dozen different NFL teams, from a dozen different teams around NBA, NHL, MLB, uh, all kinds of executives in sports get it. So you can too. To your listeners, just sign up at andrew-brandt.com.
1: I mean, you're a fantastic resource, especially when it comes to the sports business side of things. It's no wonder that you're a hot commodity. I I saw the tweet that you put out earlier this week that people have asked if you have any interest in getting back into the NFL with everything you have going on. Yeah, it hasn't
0: really been an interest of mine. Uh, I'm also, you know, now an empty nester. My kids are in college. I get into fitness. I love travel. So I want that life for myself. In addition to all these gigs, Picked up another gig the last few weeks, uh, Thursday Night Football, broadcast on Amazon, but also a company called Twitch. So I'm giving you my version of the Manning cast on Twitch, where I just sort of talk through the game in a little box uh, by the the game on Thursday Night Football. So those are my gigs. And then, of course, I've got a full-time job, too, at Villanova University, where I run a sports law, sports business program there.
1: Right down the road for me, we'll have to get together over beers and talk football in the business of sports at some time. By the way, before I let you go, you brought up the Manning cast and your Twitch feed. I really feel like that's the future of sports broadcasting because, you know, I've always been a guy who needs all the atmosphere and the commentary and the crowd noise. But I've been sucked in to broadcasts like yours and the Manning cast and watching you know guys like Daniel Jeremiah give you know yeah. commentary like last night you just get a different layer and there's a different intelligence that's portrayed and conveyed to the fans watching the game with what you guys are doing and what the Mannings are doing. I think it's fantastic. And I think more networks would be smart to, to follow that mold into the future.
0: It really is. I mean, I'm looking at the Manning cast and I'm going, where has this been, right. you know, sitting, talking ball,
1: uh and and, other things with Marshawn Lynch by the way
0: (laughs) well Peyton takes it even though Peyton is very funny and and playful he really does take it seriously and he's taking you inside the huddle kind of like Tony Romo does but uh in a really congenial way and Eli Manning geez I knew he I, I thought he was boring cliche guy but he's funny and bright and smart too and I like I like their pairing and I'm not that funny, (laughs) to be honest, but I do tell you all these little insights as we watch the game, especially last night with my Packers.
1: Really appreciate it. He's Andrew Brandt. Go sign up for the newsletter at andrew-brandt.com. Follow him on Twitter at Andrew Brandt and check him out on MMQB and all of your media platforms, it seems, the Business of Sports podcast as well. Go subscribe there. Andrew, really appreciate the time. Look forward to talking to you further up the road, my friends.
0: Thank you, Matt. Always a pleasure.
1: Just really awesome insight there from Andrew Brandt. Make sure you go subscribe to his newsletter at andrew-brandt.com. Follow him on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. And, of course, download and subscribe to the Business of Sports podcast. Really interesting that he compares Joe Burrow to Aaron Rodgers. We're going to talk a lot about Aaron Rodgers on the other side. But I look at Joe Burrow and what the Bengals are doing right now. That was a statement win going on the road to Baltimore against Lamar Jackson, who already has an MVP award on his trophy case at home. Joe Burrow looks like he's going to make a real run at the MVP this year. The Bengals look like they're a team that arrived on the scene maybe a year or two before people expected. But when you look at the connection that Burrow has with Jamar Chase, it really reminds me of some of those early Aaron Rodgers teams that wound up going to the Super Bowl and beating the Steelers in Dallas. Really reminds me of a quarterback who's just hitting his stride, which is really impressive not only in his second year, but coming back from that gruesome knee injury that ended his season last year. I couldn't be higher on Joe Burrow. I think he has a ceiling of being one of the top five quarterbacks in the league for years to come. And the Bengals, they already have a signature win over the Ravens like we touched on. They went toe-to-toe, as Andrew alluded to, with the Packers and with Aaron Rodgers. And they beat the Minnesota Vikings back in week one. That was kind of the, hey, let's stand up and take notice of the Bengals. And Cincinnati is a team definitely on the rise. They're a team to watch. And they have, they have what I believe is kind of a gimme game on Sunday in East Rutherford at the Jets against a backup quarterback. Joe Burrow might have a chance to throw for 300-plus on Sunday afternoon. But on the other side, we'll get into Andrew Brandt's former team, the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, where they are, where they go from here, and what was a signature win in their own right Thursday night against the Arizona Cardinals. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed.
0: Something you probably do know, Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle
1: home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know, a driveway basketball hoop, including the base, weighs around 400 pounds. Something you probably do know, there's a windstorm coming. Something you probably don't know, a basketball hoop tipping over can poke a hole in a car roof like a can opener. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. And then there were none. Somewhere you just know Don Shula is toasting champagne and the 1972 Dolphins can rest easily for at least another year. Because Thursday night, it really, as you're watching that game, maybe the best Thursday night football game of the entire NFL season so far. And I don't know that it's going to be knocked off of that mantle. But it really felt like a litmus test that the Green Bay Packers passed with flying colors and a real referendum on the Arizona Cardinals, who entered that game as the last of the Mohicans, the last of the unbeatens at 7-0. and Aaron Rodgers goes in undermanned without some of his top wide receivers, kind of banged up up front along the offensive line, and they knocked off Arizona 24-21 to in a game that was never really all that close. Listen, I know Kyler Murray and the Cardinals put together a really nice drive at the end of that game, and what the hell was A.J. Green doing not turning around on that back shoulder throw in the end zone. And I don't know that I love that play call. You had something like 30 seconds left. You could have run the ball there before taking a timeout or spiking the ball and running your kicker out to tie the game if you don't get in. Why did Cliff Kingsbury morph into Pete Carroll there in the Super Bowl and give Rasul Douglas and give the Packers defense a chance to win the game, which they did? But for my money, watching that game and just watching how the Packers dominated the line of scrimmage all night long, how Aaron Rodgers was able to take the Packers on his back and throw for 184 yards and two scores without Devontae Adams and make just enough plays to get it done and that defense, really for, by and large, the most part of that game, keep Murray and the Cardinals under wraps, for the Green Bay Packers to win that game They're now on even footing, in my opinion, with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the team to beat in the NFC. They look that good to me. And for the Arizona Cardinals, it felt like a bit of a wake-up call. It felt like we've gone down this road before with Cliff Kingsbury, with the Cardinals. We've seen this movie before. We've seen this ending before. Just think back to last year, the Cardinals, through the first seven games, they were one of the hottest teams in the NFL. They were one of the teams similar to this year, maybe not quite to this extent because they started out this season undefeated, but they were 5-2. and two. They were one of the hottest teams in the league. They were, for the most part, the team to beat through the first half of the season in the NFC West. And then the second half of the season happened. They finished 8-8, eight and eight, losing six of their final nine games. And this is nothing due second-half collapses for Cliff Kingsbury. His final season at Texas A&M, they lost their final two games before having to survive in the Texas Bowl against Oklahoma State. My point here is that Cliff Kingsbury's teams needed to learn how to close. It's something that they haven't done throughout his career. They haven't done through his short tenure with the Arizona Cardinals. And that was, to me... The biggest concern for Arizona is the second half of this season kind of gets underway in earnest. You have to worry about Kyler Murray and his health because of his stature and because of his aggressive playmaking style on the run and his ability to make things happen with his legs outside of the pocket. If he can stay healthy, they're going to be in the mix. But I don't know that Kingsbury can win enough games down the stretch or understands how to beat top competition when it matters. But the good news for Arizona here is they face the NFL's third easiest schedule the rest of the way. The only two teams that are currently in the playoff race in the NFC that are on the Cardinals schedule are the Rams and the Dallas Cowboys. So if this is a trend, if this is a, a hallmark of Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury's coaching of, and of Cliff Kingsbury's teams, then look out because the Cardinals still have to go up against the Seattle Seahawks. They have the Niners. They have the Bears and the Colts. But on paper... Arizona has a really easy road home to at least one home game in the NFC playoffs, presuming that they don't go through another second half collapse. And my fear for Arizona is that what happened in that game Thursday night is kind of a harbinger of things to come. But Green Bay in Titletown, optimism is rightfully surging right now. If you're a Packers fan, you should be pretty excited by what you saw. If the Packers are going to be one of the top two teams in the NFC, They'll have to go through the Rams, the Vikings twice, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Cleveland Browns. So Green Bay and Rodgers, they'll be battle-tested if they get there. And this is a different season. It has a different feel for me than last year did for Green Bay, where Aaron Rodgers won the MVP, won home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and Tom Brady still found a way to go into Lambeau in January and win an NFC Championship game. This is scorched-earth territory for Aaron Rodgers, it feels like. So... I look at this right now, and I think Rodgers has more to play for. I think he's more motivated right now than ever. And if it comes down to Tampa Bay and Green Bay again for a right to go to the Super Bowl, I'm not sure I care too much where the game is. The Packers are equipped to pull off the upset. The Packers are equipped to, to pull it off and knock off Brady this time around. It'll be a hell of a game if that's what we wind up getting. But speaking of great games... I think we're going to find out a lot about a few teams this weekend. And again, the second half of the season is just getting underway. And we're going to find out pretty quickly here, are the New England Patriots for real? I'm not talking about the Patriot way. We know that it works. I'm not talking, of course, about Bill Belichick, the greatest head coach to ever you know, roam a sideline. But are these New England Patriots this season for real? We know they can blow out the Jets. We know their defense is legit. Mac Jones is really starting to come to his own week in and week out. We're going to learn a lot more about New England and conversely, a lot more about Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert when Bill Belichick goes into LA and SoFi Stadium on Sunday. If you listen to this podcast every week, you know what I think about Justin Herbert. I think he is already elite from the pocket. I already think he's a difference maker and a franchise changer. I think he's a reason why the Los Angeles Chargers need to be taken very seriously to go to the Super Bowl this season. And I think they're the biggest threat to the Kansas City Chiefs not only this year, but perhaps moving forward, especially given the fact that Herbert already has two come-from-behind wins against Kansas City this season, one of which already in Arrowhead. But going up against that Patriots defense, the way that they're just turning quarterbacks into mush in the pocket this season and going up against Bill Belichick. It's one of the toughest tests that Herbert will have had to face so far. I think he's legit. I think he's an elite quarterback already in the NFL, but we're going to find out a little bit more about Justin Herbert and a little bit more about the Patriots on Sunday afternoon. And, you know, one of the quarterbacks who's played some of the best football of anybody across the league this year and certainly the best football of his career is Dak Prescott. But it's sounding like Dak Prescott's not going to be able to go on Sunday night for the Cowboys. And this is a sneaky big game for Dallas. They have a pretty manageable schedule the rest of the way. This might be their toughest test remaining. But going into Minnesota on a Monday night without Dak Prescott, a Sunday night rather, going in in primetime to Minnesota in a hostile environment without Dak Prescott, if they can win this game against a playoff caliber roster, then I think we need to take the Cowboys even more seriously than I am at this stage of the season. And of course, all lies this week are Monday night in Arrowhead, where the Chiefs get the New York Giants and a defense that sacked Sam Darnold and Panthers backup quarterback P.J. Walker five times last week. The Giants sound like they're getting Kadarius Toney back, and if you've watched Kadarius Toney at all, He's a difference maker. He might be the most explosive player on the Giants roster, and that includes Saquon Barkley. He's just really elusive in the open field. He's a playmaker, and him and Daniel Jones, before Tony got hurt with that ankle injury, really have started to develop a strong chemistry. You know, the Giants might be able to keep this close here. I think the Giants are going to put up all kinds of yards on that Chiefs defense on Monday night. They might even put up like 300 or 350 yards. I think they're going to move the football really well. I just don't know if they can keep pace on the scoreboard with Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and the Chiefs. It's going to be a great game. I can't wait to see what happens, and I really can't wait to see what happens in some of these other games we touched on this weekend. It should be a great week. It was really a fun show. Appreciate you tuning in. Thanks, as always, to FanSide. It's Cole Thompson. Does a fantastic job producing this program each and every week. Really instrumental in getting the podcast up and running. Thanks to Andrew Brandt. Really appreciated and enjoyed his insight as the trade deadline approaches. And as always, if you enjoyed the podcast, Please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, all of your favorite podcast platforms, and subscribe to the Stacking the Box NFL Podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you left a five star review for Stacking the Box and mentioned the Matt Lombardo Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. It should be a really great weekend, some exciting games. I'm Matt Lombardo. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, inside, fan side, Stacking the Box podcast feed.